This is Dan Brown with a 10-minute writer's workshop. And I'm Virginia Prescott. The blockbuster 2003 thriller The Da Vinci Code launched Dan Brown into the best-selling stratosphere. More than 200 million copies of his books have sold worldwide since. Three of his novels have been made into films starring Tom Hanks as fictional Harvard professor Robert Langdon. Dan Brown is a disciplined writer, rising each day at 4 a.m. to a breakfast smoothie and bulletproof coffee and throwing himself into his subjects. Each hour's computer freezes for 60 seconds, allowing him to do sit-ups or push-ups. He spent four years researching Origin, his latest novel, which again thrusts Langdon into a 24-hour scavenger hunt for keys, codes, and symbols in spectacular European locations. And like the previous novels, the breathless action drives bigger questions. In Origin, that's about whether contemporary notions of God can withstand scientific scrutiny. We caught up with Dan Brown just before discussing Origin at the Music Hall in Portsmouth for Writers on a New England Stage and asked him, what makes a great thriller? Uh, probably a big ethical question, uh, one that you can argue both sides of very effectively. Um, and uh, that's the kind of book I like to write, books that uh, have moral dilemmas. What's the best thriller you've read? Best thriller I read? I would have to say the original Born Identity a long time ago. Uh, Ludlam is just such a master of, of the big concept thriller and the, and the twist, and uh, it really inspired me. So there are points in this book where you bring us along in the mystery, we get to see the text messages, we get to hear what is leading Langdon along this path, but then sometimes you don't, you know? There's the note in a book that we don't know about. It just moves on to the next chapter or the, another message that someone else gets that we don't know. So how do you decide, you know, when to let us in and when to leave us flying? Uh, well, you know, I, I hate loose ends, and so uh, if, if something is critical to the plot, I always solve that problem. There are times when your imagination is going to be better uh, than anything I can write, and those are usually uh, moments that I let, uh, I let just sit. So, in your books, there are many things that are real, you know, buildings, architecture, art, cities, landscapes, locations, sometimes people. You invented a royal family, a Spanish royal family for this book. So tell me about that, what that means for you, you know, ethically. Have you ever used people in your books that they say, why did you do that? Uh, yeah, occasionally. <laughs> I wrote, you know, Da Vinci Code had a lot of uh, members of Opus Dei in it that, that were not too happy that I'd written about them. This book has a few people that are not too happy I've written about them. Um, but that, you know, these are public figures. You know, I'm, I'm accustomed to having people write about me saying things I don't like either. So, um, you know, I just feel that it's important to respect uh, people's privacy if they are not uh, public figures, and also to represent them fairly. Um, and that's something I always try to do. Even if I disagree strongly with what they're up to, I am very, very careful to make sure that it, their words are never twisted. I feel like locations become a kind of character in, in some of your books. So how do, you, how do you choose them? Does it come first? Do you think, I want to write a book about that, and you go there? Or do you research and you discover a place that you want to write about? Yeah, it happens both ways. I mean, you're right. Location is, is an extra character in these books. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, I, I knew I wanted to set a scene in Sagrada Familia, which is this beautiful shrine to all that's organic, and it really ties in with the themes of the book. And so I uh, outlined a scene in Sagrada Familia. And then when I went there for the third or fourth time, I ended up in a stairwell that I hadn't seen, this terrifying spiral staircase. And I realized, like, wow, somebody needs to die here. Uh, and I, I actually had to change the plot to make sure I had a character to die there. But you also have created these, you know, for example, I'm thinking of uh, 
you know, the Mona Lisa. Now all of these people are interested in it, you know, um, Roslyn Chapel in Scotland. People are going there all the time because it was in a Dan Brown book. So do you feel that there's, you know, some responsibility? You know, how do you, how do you, ch how do you choose those places? And I imagine people are lobbying you to choose uh, them. I do have a lot of tourist bureaus who send me beautiful, glossy books of their countries and their cities. Um, but, you know, I mean, you look at a place like Barcelona. I mean, clearly Barcelona doesn't need my help. It's a spectacular city that a lot of people are going to want to see whether or not they've read about it in my book. But, but what's kind of fun is if, if you've read these books, uh, you might see a different side of Barcelona. You might, you might en end up going to different places or seeing them in a different light. And what I really try to do is just share what I personally have found exciting about these locations. And there's a location at the end of Origin uh, that when I heard about it, it's a place in Barcelona, I'm not going to ruin it, but it is, it essentially epitomizes the battle between science and religion. And it is a spectacular location. When I read about it, I said, there's no way this place exists. And sure enough, it exists. And I went there, and I stood in this space, and I talked to the people who work there. And uh, that's where the finale is set. And uh, it was great fun. I'm pretty sure what you're talking about. And I actually looked it up because I was like, no, there's no way this could be possible. And sure enough. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Langdon, because he's such a draw. Um, your first novel, Digital Fortress, had a female protagonist. Curious how you landed on Langdon. Um, you know what, Langdon is, I, Langdon I, I always think of as, he's kind of the man I wish I could be. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, we share an intellectual curiosity, a love of art, a love of symbols, but he's, he's much braver than I am. He's, uh, he has a much more interesting life. He's, uh, he's much smarter than I am, and he just, uh, he's a lot of fun to work with because he can sort of dive into all the things that I wish I uh, could dive into in real life. He's been with you for a while, too. I wonder if there's a way you begin to see through his eyes. Do you look at the world and think, ah, he would find this interesting? Uh, without a doubt, when I'm traveling, I'm seeing through Langdon's eyes because I'm knowing that, that at some point, my reader is going to be seeing Casa Mila or uh, the Guggenheim and Bilbao through Langdon's eyes. Uh, and that was one of the things that was so fun about writing about modern art because Langdon's classically trained. He knows a lot about Renaissance art, about the old masters, but you put him in the world of modern art and, and he's doing what a lot of us do, just sort of going like, I don't get it. <laughs> and that was kind of fun. Can you imagine writing a book without him? Sure. In fact, I think the next book I write will probably not be a Langdon book. I'll probably take a little break for a while. Dun, dun, uh, dun. <laughs> We're going to get this out tomorrow. <laughs> um, so you have talked on this book tour and in, in the past about wanting to start a dialogue between people of faith and, and, and people of science, you know, that this is an area where there's so much collision, so much tension. And I'm wondering, how have you found fiction to be the place to do that? You know, the wonderful thing about fiction is that you can create characters who know a lot about their particular point of view, whether it's deeply religious or atheist or a futurist or a, whatever it happens to be. And you can take these people and you can put them in a crucible and force them to deal with an issue. And that's very hard to do in real life, uh, to bring these people together and really force them to, to deal with an issue. Um, I love writing these characters who, um, who are able to explore ethical and moral dilemmas uh, that really have no answer, where, where both sides are right somehow. Do you have a fantasy job other than writer? I always want to be an architect. Um, it's kind of interesting because um, I wanted to be an architect as a kid, uh, I, I, you know, quite a visual imagination, but I had no drawing skill. 
I, and I try, I just had no skill for it. And what's funny now is now with CAD programs, I, I guess, I guess uh, my, my other self, if I were born now, I could be an architect. But the, Is there a, build, a, a Dan Brown building yet to come out? Uh, I am designing something. <laughs> wow, we have two scoops. <laughs> I doubt anybody will ever build it, and I don't even know if it's going to stand up, but I am designing something. <laughs> just like an architect. A lot of things don't get built. We'll leave that to the engineers. Thank you so much. Thank you. Real pleasure, always. Dan Brown, handing one off to the locals. He's author of The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and most recently, Origin. The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is a production of NHPR, produced by Sarah Plourd with help from Taylor Quimby. Music today from Pottington Bear, along with a piece of music that inspired Dan Brown to write Origin. It's called Misa Charles Darwin. Vocal music with text from Charles Darwin, from composer Gregory Brown. And yes, it's Dan Brown's brother. We are a long way from Dan Brown-level market penetration, but the numbers do go up when you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Google Play, which helps other book lovers, writers, and creatives find their way. Until next time, I'm Virginia Prescott with the 10-Minute Writers' Workshop from NHPR.